0: And welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents (laughs) and the undead who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at the quiz at the pubs.
1: We are your hosts. I am Lauren. And I am Julia. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Halloween. (laughs) Happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, this is our special Halloween mini sew. A very spooky mini sew. I, I don't think I can. Do this yeah, no, I know. I think we can keep it up the entire time. <laughs> um, we have a, a special episode for you today, uh, thanks to a very special listener. Oh, my gosh. Maeve, you have knocked it out of the park. She sent us an, an email with a, a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I laughed not because it's, it, we're not making fun of you. That's it. Was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was beautifully well researched. We loved it. So, considering. And the best
0: part of all. So, Maeve is one of our Irish listeners. Yes. Um, and she sent us, thank goodness, a pronunciation guide. Oh, she's Because the best. we
1: are not great at that no. part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, me more than you. Uh, but yeah. So, that was very kind, yes. especially since. Irish is an impenetrable language to the English-speaking ear, I would say.
0: <laughs> yes. So um, Maeve offered us a, a, basically a mini yeah. worth of information on the history of Samhain in Ireland, um, which is the precursor to Halloween. So that's the information we wanted to share with you all tonight, courtesy of Maeve. So... Halloween in its earliest form can be traced back more than 2,000 years to the Gaelic Celts in Ireland. Uh, The Celts were a group from central mainland Europe. Uh, They migrated westward to what is now Britain and Ireland, and they arrived in Ireland about 500 BC, give or take a few hundred years, of course. Um, There were already populations living in Ireland at the time that observed the solar and lunar events, and over time, the Celts became the dominant ethnic group in Ireland. The Gaels, that's G-A-E-L-S, the Gaels were a Celtic group associated with Ireland. And by the 4th or 5th century AD, the Gaelic language is known to have been spoken all over Ireland. And it was likely the Irish, the Gaels, who took the precursor to Halloween, which we'll get into in a minute, to parts of Britain where the tradition survived in parts of Scotland, the Isle of Man, Wales, and Cornwall, and may have survived from other Celtic groups. Um, Maeve also sent us a great link to a video on the Celts from Miss Stout's history class on YouTube, and we'll tweet that link out for everybody to see later. Um, oh, while we're here, Scotland is actually named after the Irish. Okay. Wow. So Scoti, S-C-O-T-I, was the Latin name for the Gaels. And the country name Scotland is from Scotia, meaning land of the Gaels, and was initially used to refer to Ireland and later Gaelic-speaking parts of Scotland, and later just Scotland. So there was a bit of confusion along the way until the Pope decided that only Scotland as it is now had the rights to the word. Um, another thing that's good to clear up now, Irish versus Gaelic. So why do we say Irish and not Gaelic here? Um, to those outside of the Celtic nations, Gaelic seems to be used as a if it is one singular language um, and may have told us that there's a good instance in the movie. And if fair to remember, uh, Terry says, do you speak Gaelic? And Nikki replies fluently. Um, the Gaelic language originally spoken in Ireland developed into two other languages. So that's Manx spoken on the Isle of Man and Scottish Gaelic spoken in Scotland, not to be confused with Scots because that is an unrelated language language so irish in this instance could mean the original gaelic up to the modern language spoken in ireland and to distinguish from the other two languages so just a little background there Here we are with Samhain. So that's S-A-M-H-A-I-N. It is pronounced Samhain. That rhymes with Rose McGowan. (laughs) Thank you, Maeve. Um, So Samhain was one of the four major ancient Celtic festivals and a very important one in the Celtic year. Originally, Samhain would have been celebrated at a certain point in the lunar cycle, about halfway between the autumnal equinox and the winter solstice. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about the other three main festivals in a bit. The Celts measured days from sundown to sundown, like in the Bible. So the night of Samhain was actually celebrated before the day of Samhain. Um, So you'll sometimes see Samhain described as being from evening on October 31st to the evening of November 1st, or sometimes as time, just like November 1st. Um, The ancient Celts thought of the year as being a light half, like one long summer, and a dark half, like one long winter. Um, Samhain is from the Old Irish and is believed to mean summer end. It marked the end of harvest time, the end of the light half of the year, and also the Celtic New Year. November was the start of winter, the new year, and the beginning of the darker half of the year. Ireland still follows the Gaelic calendar for seasons. So in Ireland, winter is November, December, January. Spring is February, March, April, and so on, though we have started the standard Gregorian calendar and
1: have the new year in January, she says. In modern Irish, Samhain, as a standalone word, is still used to mean both Halloween and the month of November. Uh, Iha, spelled O-I-C-H-E, uh, Hauna, which is S-H-A-M-H-N-A, is Night of Sáwan, as in October 31st. And the month of November is Mina Sauna. The month of October is Midera Foer. And I yeah. know, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, really, I'm, I'm working on this. Yeah, these. it is. And Dera Foer is October, meaning end of harvest. Samhain was also a time to remember the dead. During the in-between time between the end of one year and the beginning of the next, between summer and winter, between light and dark, was a special time when the normal parameters separating worlds did not apply. It was believed that the boundary or veil between our world and the other world was at its weakest. That's very spooky. I know, it's very spooky. The other world was the realm of all manner of supernatural beings. It is where the ghosts of the dead, the fairies, or any other unearthly entity resides. And fairies... Mm. Are actually bad Like they're Well they're not bad But I guess they're mischievous Okay And can be considered bad I think From what I remember Mm -hmm. From my Irish folklore book From when I was a child (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um during this time supernatural entities like ghosts and fairies could more easily pass into this world interact with the living and the living could pass into the other world.
0: So this makes me think of um in Harry Potter and oh. I know Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix when they have like the archway with the veil between it that is okay. in the Ministry of Magic that Sirius Black kind of gets pushed through and then he dies. That's what I think oh, of when spoiler. I think of like the veil between
1: those. I say okay.
0: That the, afterlife and the, this life
1: see and i was thinking of Susanna clark's book jonathan strange and mr norrell mm. where the idea of fairies and the other world and the raven king and all this stuff there's a very like uh loose um very porous di- you know Ooh. divide between our world and their world so yeah you might get trapped there That's one of the two problem. pop culture references one of two <laughs> pop culture references choose your side choose your own Uh, On this night, the souls of the dead could return and would visit their homes. Usually they were benign and would want to sit by the warmth of the fire in their old home or have some food, but other spirits and fairies could also go about to do mischief and cause harm to people or property. Do you recall in the film Hocus Pocus when Allison explains Halloween? It just so happens that Halloween is based on the ancient feast called All Hallows' Eve. It's the one night of the year where the spirits of the dead can return to Earth. That's from Samhain or All Hallows' Eve as it became. The hollow are saints. All Hallows evening are All Saints evening. The evening before All Saints Day later becomes Halloween. Uh, like other religious holidays, the Catholic Church essentially made replacements for pagan festivals by taking existing traditions and rebranding them. The church already had an All Saints Day in May, which replaced the existing Roman festival of Lumeria, but later moved it. All Saints Day became November 1st, and later All Souls Day was created for November 2nd. Maeve said that it seemed suspiciously coincidental that they chose to put it at this time of year, but it was likely intentional to coincide with existing traditions. Um, If you are going out after dark, you wouldn't want to fall prey to the evil spirits or fairies. People would dress up to disguise themselves to fool any being that may want to do them harm. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. So that's what the costumes came Mm -hmm. from, which I guess I never really understood. Traditionally, people would carve faces and put candles in the hollowed-out vegetables, especially turnips, to use as a lamp to guide your way after dark and also to scare away the evil spirits about on Halloween night. I think you see where this is going. Uh, The custom of carving lanterns for Halloween originated in Ireland, and emigrants carrying on the tradition found that turnips were not widely available as in the Americas, <laughs> but pumpkins, which in the season around Halloween were easy to come by, so the pumpkins took over. Oh heck yeah. Because it's uh, over here it's decorative gourd season. Decorative gourds. All yep. decorative gourds. I love a freaky pumpkin. One Ugh. with like, ooh, with like all those lumps and bumps on it. It <laughs> looks like it's melting. Like it has leprosy. Yes. I love a freaky elephant pumpkin. man syndrome. Yes. <laughs> What's that called? you know what i mean yeah i think it's called elephant man syndrome (laughs) oh no it's um it'll come to me yeah um i'll tell you this pumpkins are a lot easier to carve than a turnip if everyone is inspired to carve a turnip be very careful Uh, how big are turnips turnips like a softball turnips can be like softball size wow yeah they're they're substantial and they seem
0: like they would be hard to carve
1: yeah because they're very dense Mm -hmm. um and not very juicy yeah Juicy, juicy for the rest of us yeah
0: they're very they're not very juicy <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're like dry you know what i mean yeah. like they're a like a, a, like a, a carrot or a
0: parsnip or yes, something exactly like a carrot or a parsnip okay. yeah they don't have a lot of juices yeah.
1: apparently though they still
0: carry on this tradition in some places yes Ireland.
1: yes um so the reminder uh that the most iconic image of Halloween a carved pumpkin or jack-o'-lantern was originally a turnip which is also more frightful looking than your average <laughs> carved pumpkin uh, most people in Ireland um, these days will use a pumpkin rather than a turnip to make a lantern at Halloween though some people do make a traditional turnip lantern Aww. which seems like people who are gluttons for punishment as far as I'm concerned you, also you would probably need a very sharp knife oh yeah and, and maybe like, those like gloves a couple that you of can't, gloves yes those, some those. falconer gloves <laughs> so you don't so lose you a carp. finger trying to do your traditional turnip yeah. lantern. I mean, we have so many holidays that can cause a lot of damage oh, to the old phalanges. True. You know what I mean? You got, you got the 4th of July. You got the 4th of July where people blow off oh their my hands God. and their fingers. Thanksgiving with those turkey prongs. Oh my
0: gosh, One year, yeah. my grandma stabbed, my, stabbed somebody in my family with the turkey <laughs> prongs. Like <laughs> You know what, what I mean? Like turkey? lifting it. like She went to put it into the turkey to lift it out of the pan and instead stabbed it through someone's hand. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a very violent yep. family. Christmas. That's what
1: everyone has heart attacks. Yeah. Because of all the rich food <laughs> and the, the and sedentary. The <laughs> the and the stress. The, and the stress sedentary of being around your families. Yes. For so long. It's a terrible, we should just not. What's the safest them. holiday do you think then? Um, well, Easter.
0: Easter. Ah, uh, I mean,
1: <laughs> Easter egg hunts. Come oh, on, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You, fall, our, tumble you down. can tumble down. Get an elbow
0: right to the eyeball.
1: Oh, God. Now what I'm going to be very afraid, very aware of my Valentine's elbows and eyeballs. Valentine's
0: Day. I mean, if someone, like if you're expecting a gift from someone and they don't get you one. And like then you fly into a rage. Be, that could be bad. Yeah, that could be bad.
1: Hmm. It's just, it's a, it's a hard thing. St. Patrick's holidays. Day is really tough on, on everybody. <laughs> yes. Let's, be, I mean, let's, let's be, honest. be honest. I don't know how St. Patrick's Day is celebrated in Ireland, Maeve. Oh, I, I bet I'm... I do. <laughs> <laughs> but it, here in the U.S., First of all, don't go to Boston anywhere around March. Just March. Period. <laughs> the whole month. The whole month. Just avoid it entirely. But yeah, it's bad. Yeah. St. Patrick would is f- spinning in his grave. Flag day. That's a safe holiday. That's yeah, a safe holiday. <laughs> there you go. Flag day. Flag day. The safest holiday, according to misinformation. <laughs> it gets our stamp of approval. Yes. Safest holiday. Stay inside. Look at your flag from out of a window. All right. A jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's Derailed. Fine. It's okay. It's okay. Um, why is it called a jack-o'-lantern why is it called a jack-o'-lantern so apparently there is a myth of stingy jack who tricked the devil Uh, when he died he was not able to enter heaven or hell or apparently to purgatory and was destined to roam the earth with a hollowed out turnip for a lamp with an ember for light yeah I know
0: that is very spooky it is spooky Halloween traditions survived to more modern times And made their way to America from Europe But particularly Irish immigrants During and after the Great Famine When millions left for America Americanized versions of some traditions Have traveled back across the pond Particularly as seen in films and television But one tradition that didn't make it across America As far as Maeve knows Is Barmbrack What? Barmbrack (laughs) Um, B-A-R-M-B-R-A-C-K She said We have a traditional bread eaten around Halloween Called Barmbrack From the Irish Bahrin Brac that's B A I R I N space B R E A <laughs> C Bahrin Brac Bahrin Brac speckled loaf Ew. It is a sweet bread made with mixed spices usually some blend of cinnamon nutmeg allspice cloves and ginger and dried fruit usually some mix of currants sultanas or raisins Lots and lots of raisins And candied orange or lemon peel And she said it's typically baked As a round flat-topped cake shape um, And sometimes as a rectangular bread loaf It's a bit like panettone But much shorter um, Not as sweet or as eggy It is eaten sliced Not wedges Typically with butter And also lovely Toasted with the obligatory cup of tea That sounds lovely Um, Halloween Brack um, They call it either Barn Brack Or just Brack Starts appearing in the shops Around the end of September And is gone by the second week of November But the Barn Brack Not only tastes delicious It is a method of of divination what traditionally there were several fortune telling items baked into the Halloween brack, each with a symbol for the person who found it in their slice the items were usually a pea um, it's dried and hard it's not like Thank a fresh god. pea that just like yeah <laughs> a, a, like a dried pea a small stick like a match stick with no flammable head oh my god yeah, right <laughs> you could easily choke on that a piece of cloth or a rag a coin oh. and a ring so finding the pea means you won't marry in the next year oh my god the rag foretells poverty Oh, my God. The ring means you will be married in the next year. Okay. The stick indicates beating your wife. No. Um, that is an unhappy marriage, she says. <laughs> and a coin represents wealth. Um, sometimes other items like a thimble for spinsterhood or
1: a button for a bachelor were included. <laughs> now, what I'm hearing with my ears uh-huh. is that there are more negative <laughs> objects than positive But
0: there's a chance that you'll get the I guess so, but
1: that's a real roll of the dice. And then you got a mouthful of rag. (laughs) (laughs) You know? You're like, "Mm, oh, yay, I'm so excited. I get to toast my beautiful Bambrak. (laughs) Delicious, delicious. And then you got a mouthful of a gray cloth (laughs) that your mother used to like wipe the floor with. No, thank you. And And you're you're poor. (laughs) And then you're poor.
0: (laughs) Unhappy marriage, no money, also a bachelor and now you got and you got to beat your mouth. wife yeah it's too bad it's awful it's i guess i'm p- kind of picturing it kind of like the king cake with the like the little oh, baby yeah. in it or the ring or whatever but mm-hmm. instead like a raisin worse. loaf <laughs> filled with objects this wouldn't with fly pain. in america this is why it hasn't yeah, made it to america because exactly. the fda will not let us will
1: not let these be sold <laughs> it's a raisin loaf of pain it's just like <laughs> horrible <laughs> oh man oh poor things uh, so,
0: are usually shop-made brack These days will not only have a toy metal ring, um, sometimes with a plastic gem, and always wrapped paper. I have no idea how the plastic gem version doesn't melt in the oven. They must be special, etc. <laughs> um, I think modern health and safety would deem this all a hazard. Uh, yeah, there has been warning to be careful with small children on the labels these days. But to her knowledge, there has not been an incident with someone choking to death
1: on items oh, from good. the good. Thank God. What small comfort.
0: <laughs> um, she said the fortune telling is taken as a bit of fun, especially for children. So finding the ring is something to look forward to at any age oh that's lovely
1: okay a special mention for irish vampires oh, I, I, can you <laughs> can you imagine trying to do like
0: the like the transylvanian accent but also speaking
1: irish irish oh no i couldn't even imagine um so vampires as steve and i have been calling it we watched blade all the blades great movies you all should watch blade it's so good the third one is terrible, but we watched one and two. They're very, very good. The second one was Guillermo del Toro. It's it's excellent. Anyway, does anybody mention- have spooky eyeballs in their no, hands? No, but in this then we one? watched Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, it's it was great. He didn't want to have any good dreams that night. No, and we also watched The Cell. I know. I don't know. We just got on like a kick, and then it just didn't stop. All right, vampires, vampires. Okay, a special mention for Irish vampires. Dracula was written by Irishman. Bram Stoker. But See, also- I didn't know he was Irish. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Well, according to the Irish, everybody's Irish. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I Fair. mean, Bram Stoker was actually Irish. He really Irish. was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was also the, mo- uh, the- also the most famous female vampire was also written by an Irishman. Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu wrote Camilla 26 years before Stoker wrote Dracula. Wow. Um, on the name Dracula, there is a theory that the name is from the Irish phrase Druk Eula. Oh, that's good. Meaning bad blood. Ooh. Uh, It is true Dracula is from the Transylvanian nobleman Dracula, meaning son of Dracula, from Romanian dracul, meaning dragon. But maybe it has a double meaning, or maybe just a coincidence that they sound so similar. We don't know if Stoker was familiar with the phrase, but I thought it was worth mentioning all the same.
0: So dracula means bad blood. Yes. That's crazy.
1: Dracula. Dracula. Yes. Um, You can speak so much Irish now. I know. Oh, my God. Mina Hauna? Mina Hauna. That's such a good word. Mina Hauna. (laughs) And also, I've noticed on Twitter that sometimes our Irish fans in their, like, normal people tweets, they'll, like, say something like... Their normal people tweets? (laughs) Like, the ones that aren't, like, directed at us or about us. Yeah. They'll be like, "Um, uh, you know, today I had a delicious cookie. And then, like, something in Irish exclamation point and they all are like yeah that word exclamation point yeah it's like a secret language Ooh. it's very weird i don't know what it means i'm gonna like assemble all of the words and then, and then email Dave and be like tell me what this means <laughs> it's like we rise at dawn okay aside from Samhain, uh the other three main celtic festivals are uh imulg Spelled I-M-B-O-L-G uh, Now set as February 1st Halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox Celebration associated with the goddess Brigid uh, The church adapted to St. Brigid's Day mm. uh, Then you have Bealtina Ooh. Uh, as Now set as May 1st Halfway between the spring aqu- equinox And the summer solstice The great fire festival beginning of summer And lighter half of the year oh, yeah. Opposite of Samhain uh, The name is used in modern Irish as the word for the month of May Great. Uh, and then finally, Lunasa, which is now set uh, as August 1st. It's halfway between the summer solstice and autumn equinox and named after the god Lu, L-U-G-H. L-U-G-H. Uh, it is the beginning of harvest season and the name is used in modern Irish as the word for the month of August. Oh, cool! Uh, Wiccans celebrate the four ancient Celtic festivals.
0: Oh, neat. Yeah. <sighs> Maeve.
1: Maeve. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank this you for allowing ex-
0: us to share your
1: words and to share this and great to information share with a, people. A little slice of Ireland in a little a little Irish cream in our Halloween coffee tonight. <laughs> so while we have you,
0: yeah, uh, I wanted to do a little bit of um, info about some old timey horror film stars Ooh, because okay. I know that I confuse them. So oh yeah, absolutely. Briefly, the same. Lon Chaney. Oh, okay, was born Leonidas Frank Lon Chaney in 1883. He's also known as the Man of a Thousand Faces. Um, Lon Chaney was regarded as one of the most versatile and powerful actors of early cinema, renowned for his characterizations of tortured, often grotesque and afflicted characters in his groundbreaking artistry with makeup. So both of Chaney's parents were deaf, and as a child of deaf adults, oh. Chaney became skilled in pantomime. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So he entered his stage career in 1902 and began traveling with popular vaudeville and theater acts. Um, in 1905, Cheney, then 22, met and married 16-year-old singer Cleva Creighton. And in 1906, their only child, a son, Creighton Tull Cheney, later known as Lon Cheney Jr., was born. I thought this was interesting. The Chaneys continued touring, settling in California in 1910. Marital troubles developed, and on April 30th, 1913, Cleva went into the Majestic Theater in downtown LA, where Lon was managing a vaudeville show, and she attempted suicide by swallowing <gasps> mercuric chloride. What? Like, she was, like, in a fight with him and was like, I'll show you, and she showed up at his job and, like, tried to poison herself today. Okay,
1: first of all, that's just cutting your nose off to spite your face. <laughs> I mean... If you wanted to seek revenge, you would shove him full of bicaric acid. Right? That's how that works. Mercuric chloride.
0: But the suicide attempt failed, but it ruined her singing career as a result because
1: she tried to swallow mercuric chloride. Why wouldn't you just shoot yourself? (laughs) There's no forethought there.
0: It's awful. The ensuing scandal and divorce forced Chaney out of the theater and into film. Uh, between 1912 and 1917, Cheney worked under contract for Universal Studios, doing bit or character parts. His skill with makeup gained him many parts in the highly competitive casting atmosphere. So this is interesting too. Makeup in the early days of cinema was almost non-existent, with exceptions of like beards or mustaches for oh, villains. Sure, yeah. Um, most of what the Hollywood studios knew about films stemmed from their experience with theater makeup, but that didn't always translate well to the big sure, screen, yeah, yeah. Um, especially as film quality increased. So makeup departments were not yet in place during Cheney's time. Uh, prior to the 1920s, actors basically were expected to do their own makeup. And without professional makeup artists, Cheney's makeup skills Gave him a competitive advantage over other actors. I see. Okay. So, casting crews knew that they could place him in virtually any part and he would thrive because he could, yeah, you know, he could make himself he could make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, in some films, the skill even allowed him to play dual roles where he was totally unrecognizable as different characters. That's cool. So, Lon Chaney, best known for his starring roles in silent horror films as Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. 1923, and Eric in The Phantom of the Opera, 1925. Um, He also portrayed A tough-as-nails Marine drill instructor In Tell It to the Marines In 1926 He said this was One of his favorite films And it earned him The affection of the Marine Corps Who made him Their first honorary member From the motion picture industry Oh, that's sweet Okay, unfortunately, he died of a throat hemorrhage um, in August 1930 in Los Angeles. Um, He had bronchial lung cancer, but it was exacerbated when artificial snow made out of (gasps) cornflakes lodged in his throat during filming and created a serious infection. Oh my God. So like he was already sick, but then like he was... At a movie, and he got some artificial snow lodged in his lungs. And it's a terrible way to go. Made it, yeah, just cough yourself. To death. This is an eerie, spooky episode. Spooky. Um, so the U.S. Marine Corps provided a chaplain and honor guard for his funeral. And while his funeral was being conducted, all film studios and every office at MGM observed two minutes of silence in his honor. That's lovely. Um, his son, Lon Chaney Jr., um, 1906 to 1973, um, is best known as playing Larry Talbot in the film The Wolfman and its various crossovers. Oh, okay. He played Count Alucard, which is Dracula spelled backwards, oh, in okay. Son of Dracula, um, Frankenstein's Monster in The Ghost of Frankenstein, The Mummy in Three Pictures, and other roles in many universal horror films. Okay. So Lon Chaney, senior and junior, big stars in the universal horror, like you know, early oh, years. Yeah. Um, and both Cheney's are mentioned in the Warren Zevon song, werewolves of London. Oh, good. Of good course. Okay. Second guy, Boris Karloff. Oh yeah. Okay. His real name. Ready? Oh, tell me. His real name is William Henry Pratt. Are you serious? Right? Yes. William Henry That's Pratt. Disappointing. He was an English actor who was primarily known for his roles in horror films. Um, he was born in 1887. The youngest of nine children from Dulwich, England. In 1909, he left university without graduating and left England for Canada, where he worked as a farm laborer and did various odd jobs until, apparently, he stumbled upon acting. Uh, Pratt began appearing in theatrical performances in Canada, and during this period, he chose Boris Karloff as his stage name. Okay. He always claimed that he chose the first name Boris because it sounded foreign and exotic, and oh, sure. Karloff was an old family name. So, you might hear... Like, there might be some false trivia going around out there. There are rumors that he borrowed the name from a mad scientist character in the novel The Drums of Jeopardy, (laughs) but that novel wasn't published until 1920. And another mentioned influence was a character in the Edgar Rice Burroughs fantasy novel H.R.H. The Rider, which features a Prince Boris of Karlova. But again, that novel wasn't published until 1915, which was after he picked his stage name. So he apparently picked his own name and then people say, oh, well, you know, he actually got his stage name from this book. Or this play, or whatever, sure. and no, it's that's not true. Um, Karloff never legally changed his name to Boris Karloff, yeah. and he signed all official documents William H. Pratt, aka Boris Karloff. <laughs> Once Karloff arrived in Hollywood, he made dozens of silent films, but this work was sporadic. He acted in eighty movies <gasps> before being discovered by James Whale and cast in his eighty-first movie, Frankenstein.
1: Are you serious? He worked. He toiled. In toiled anonymity. For for eighty decades. friggin' movies, yes. Jeez, that's
0: dedication. Uh, Karloff's role as Frankenstein's monster propelled him to stardom, though. The costume was very bulky. Um, mm-hmm. It had four-inch platform boots that weighed 11 pounds each. Oh, man. you That's get five some... kilograms for our Irish listeners. That'll get you such a tight 11 butt. pounds each. Um, the costume made it a tough role, but the costume in extensive makeup designed by Jack P. Pierce produced the classic image. Mm. Universal Studios was quick to acquire ownership of the copyright to that makeup. Very smart. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, he was a charter member of the Screen Actors Guild and especially outspoken due to the long hours that he spent in makeup. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's, that's good.
0: So Karloff portrayed Frankenstein's monster in Frankenstein in 1931, Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, and Son of Frankenstein in 1939. And he also appeared as Imhotep in The Mummy in 1932. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, in non-horror roles, he's best known for narrating and as the voice of the Grinch in the animated television special, Dr. Seuss' How the Grinch Stole Christmas in 1966.
1: He was the voice of him? He the voice of the Grinch
0: and the narrator. Um. The song, actually, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, was not sung by Boris Karloff. That was sung by the American
1: voice actor Thurl Ravenscroft, which is such a great name. He was also the voice of Tony the Tiger. They're great. Yeah. Uh, For his
0: contribution uh, uh, to film and television, Boris Karloff was awarded two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, He died of pneumonia in Sussex, England in 1969 at the age of 81.
1: Long, great Great career. career.
0: That guy, William Henry Pratt. God bless him. And then finally, last one, Bela Lugosi. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he was born Bela Ferenc Dezso Blasco in 1882. He was a Hungarian-American actor famous for portraying Count Dracula in the 1931 film and for his roles in other horror films. He was born in Lugos in the Kingdom of Hungary, now known as Lugos, Romania, um, to a Hungarian father and Serbian mother. And he later based his stage name on his hometown in Lugos. At the age of 12, Lugosi dropped out of school and began his acting career in 1901 or 1902. And his earliest known performances are from provincial theaters in the 1903-1904 season, playing small roles in several plays and operettas in Hungary. After moving to Budapest in 1911, he played roles for the National Theater of Hungary between 1913 and 1919. And after playing small parts on the stage, Lugosi got his first role in a film in 1917. But he had to leave the country after the failed Hungarian Communist Revolution of 1919. He acted in several films in Weimar, Germany, before arriving in New Orleans, Louisiana as a seaman on a merchant ship. In 1927, he appeared as Count Dracula in a Broadway adaptation of Bram Stoker's novel. And he later appeared in the classic 1931 film Dracula by Universal Pictures. Uh, Through his association with Dracula, in which he appeared with minimal makeup using his natural heavily accented voice, Lugosi found himself typecast as a horror villain in films such as Murders in the Rue Morgue, The Raven, and Mm. Son of Frankenstein for Universal, as well as the movie White Zombie. Mm. His accent, while part of his image, actually limited the roles he could play. Oh, yeah, because he can't. very heavily accented. This was his real your voice, you know? <laughs> Um, So he had five films at Universal, which paired him with Boris Karloff, actually. So despite the relative size of their roles, Lugosi inevitably got second billing below Boris Karloff. Uh And there are contradictory reports of Lugosi's attitude toward Karloff, uh, some claiming that he was openly resentful of his long-term success and ability to get good roles beyond the horror arena, while others suggested that the two actors were, for a time initially, at least good friends. Um, Karloff himself in interviews suggested that Lugosi was initially mistrustful of him when they acted together, believing that the Englishman would... Attempt to upstage him When this proved Not to be the case Though according to Karloff Lugosi settled down And they worked Together amicably Though some have Further commented That Karloff's Onset demand to Break from filming For mid-afternoon Tea
1: annoyed Bella Lugosi What a British guy
0: (laughs) Late in his life Bela Lugosi again Received star billing In films when Ambitious filmmaker Ed Wood A yes. fan of Lugosi Found him living In obscurity And near poverty And offered him Roles in his films Such as the anonymous Narrator in Glenner Glenda And a Dr. Frankenstein Like mad scientist In The Bride of the Monster um, Posthumous footage Of him as Dracula were al- Was also used In Plan 9 From Outer Space In 1959 uh, That film tells Of the twisted tale Of extraterrestrial Environmentalists Who turn newly Deceased <laughs> human beings into to murderous zombies. Oh my God. That is the plot of Plan 9 from Outer Space which is like widely recognized as like the worst the movie, worst you ever, movie made. ever made. Yeah. Uh, Lugosi died of a heart attack in 1956 and was buried wearing one of the Dracula cape costumes in the Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City, California. Contrary to popular belief, Lugosi never requested to be buried in his cloak. His son confirmed on numerous occasions that he and his mother actually made the decision but believed that is what their father would have wanted.
1: Oh, okay. So, so, so it wasn't got, like we're going to put this guy in a cape no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he would have wanted this. Yeah. So,
0: Lon Chaney, he was um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. He was mm-hmm. Eric and Phantom of the Opera. Um, his son, Lon Chaney Jr., uh, was the Wolfman, basically. Mm-hmm. Boris Karloff, um, he was Frankenstein. Yeah. And also the mummy. And then Bella Lugosi was Dracula. Was Dracula, yeah. So, good. that's, that's how good to know. Kind of keep track of all those. Yeah. Because all those old timey guys. Of-
1: yeah, because I know I've guessed the wrong name. Oh, before absolutely trivia. Yeah. Same. So
0: we have mini quizzes for we you guys. We have a mini today. quiz. We each did five questions. Yes. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Since okay. since they've been hearing my voice for a while. Sure, I
1: can go first. Lauren's five questions. My five questions. So question number one. During mummification, ancient Egyptians removed all internal organs except one. Was that organ the heart? Or the brain? Question number two. Turning into a zombie isn't that much of a stretch. Name the brain virus that causes psychosis, rage, and rhythmic muscle contractions, and was the disease du jour during the early 2000s. Vegetarians need not worry. Question number three. Some cultures believe that vampires were arrhythmomaniacs. So if you were being chased by one, you could throw a handful of rice at them over your shoulder and force them to stop and do what? it is the basis of a certain Sesame Street character question number four Lord Banquo the Thane of Lochaber, is the ghost that scares the bejesus out of the titular character in what classic Shakespeare play that also has its own curse around it question number five we all know by now that Frankenstein was the doctor not the monster but did the monster have his own name all right and here's my five
0: questions okay it's on it's called The Nightmare Before Halloween. This is five questions on Tim Burton movies. Julia's five questions. <laughs> Question one. Which of Burton's film was advertised with the tagline? His story will touch you even though he can't. Question two. Named for a star in the constellation Orion, which of Burton's titular characters appears in less than 20% of the actual film? Question three. Which stop motion animated feature by Burton stars the voice of Johnny Depp as a man who accidentally gets married to a charismatic zombie after placing his ring on what he believes is a tree root? Question 4. In Burton's film Sleepy Hollow, based on Washington Irving's famous book, the Headless Horseman is the undead apparition of what specific type of German soldier from the Revolutionary War? And question 5. Deep Roy, a Kenyan-born Anglo-Indian actor and stuntman, played a whopping 165 characters in what 2005 Burton film? We'll give you guys about a minute to think, and we will be back with your
1: answers. <laughs> Zombie Jamboree took place in the New York cemetery. Where? Zombie Jamboree took place in Long Island Cemetery. Zombies from all parts of the island. Where? Some of them are great Calypzonian. Some. Here since the season was carnival.
0: They got together in Bacanala. What you doing? Back to back, belly to belly. Well, I don't give a damn. It's a that Back to back, belly to belly. The zombie Jamboree, You feel that? Back to back, belly to belly. Well, I don't give a damn. It's a dumb that I'm that Back to back, belly to belly at the zombie
1: jamboree. One female zombie wouldn't behave She says she want me for slave In the one hand, she's holding a quart of wine In the other, she's pointing that she'll be mine (laughs) Well, believe me, folks, yes, I had to run The husband of a zombie ain't no fun I says, oh no, my turtle dove An old bag of bones I cannot love But what you doing? Back to back, belly to belly Well, I don't give
0: a damn Cause I've done that already Back to back the the
1: the of- okay, great. Ah, great. great. I like this. I forgot to say, my, my questions were about classic film monsters. Ooh. So like zombies, mummies, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Number one. During mummification, ancient Egyptians removed all internal organs except one. Was that organ the heart or the brain? Okay. I know how they removed the brain. So, the heart. Yes, the heart. They believed a person was judged by their heart by the gods, and it was often protected by a powerful amulet called the heart scarab. Ooh, not that cool? <laughs> it's actually pretty gross, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. Turning into a zombie isn't that much of a stretch. Name the brain virus that causes psychosis, rage, and rhythmic muscle contractions, and was the disease du jour during the early 2000s. Vegetarians need not worry. It's a mad cow disease. It is mad cow disease. Oof. It's actually known as Creutzfeldt-Jacob disease. Oh wow, Creutzfeldt-Jacob. Okay, yep, that's the official name for mad cow disease. Question number three. Some cultures believe that vampires were arithmomaniacs. So, if you were being chased by one, you could throw a handful of rice at them over your shoulder and force them to stop and do what? It is the basis of a certain Sesame Street character. You have to count them. Yes, they would count the individual <laughs> yeah. grains. So, some other fun regional specific facts about vampires include in Romania, in order to find a vampire, you need a seven year old boy and a white horse. Oh shit. I don't know either. I don't know I don't know anybody that has a seven year old boy. We're not in Romania either, I guess. That's true. That's good. In Malaysia, vampires are tiny monsters that burrow into people's heads and force them to talk about cats.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, I think I know someone that has that problem.
1: It's creepy. I then my entire (laughs) former office. Of people that I worked with have We're Malaysian vampires in their cats. brains. <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody that at work. Please do. Week. It's a good, it, that is a good bit of info. Yep. Okay. Question number four. Lord Banquo, the Thane of Lochaber, is the ghost that scares the bejesus out of the titular character in what classic Shakespeare play that also has its own curse around it. It's the Scottish play. It is the Scottish play. Macbeth. 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 Okay. Question number five. We all know by now that Frankenstein was the doctor, not the monster, but did the monster have his own name? I think he was just Frankenstein's monster. He was just Frankenstein's monster. He did not have a name. Great. He was referred alternately as monster, creature, demon, and of course, it. It. Uh, Also, Mary Shelley was only 18 when she wrote it. (gasps) And most people thought that her husband actually wrote it. In fact, a lot of people still do. Mm. Um, And it's considered the first science fiction novel. Awesome. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. And of course, she wrote it herself because she dreamed it. She (gasps) dreamed it. Did you know that? She dreamed it? I didn't know that. Yeah. There was a... um, her and uh, her husband and, of course, um, Lord Byron, because he's always around, uh, they, <laughs> they were stuck indoors one week. They were, like, all vacationing together. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, terrible weather, it, like, rain the entire time. So they took turns reading to each other from this horror book called, like, The Phantasmagoria. Okay. And so Lord Byron was like, we should do our own competition where we all write ghost stories. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so charming? So they did that. <laughs> And uh, Byron, of course, never finished his. And uh, Shelley, like uh, Percy Beers Shelly didn't mm-hmm. finish his. But Mary was like, I'm going <laughs> to fucking do this. So she was like sleeping one night and she, she dreamed the entire oh my gosh. story. And woke up and was like, that was terrifying. It's going to terrify everybody. Here I go. Scritch, scritch, scritch. Rick. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Oh, man. <laughs> All
0: right. Here's my five questions on Tim Burton movies. Uh, Question one, which of Burton's films was advertised with the tagline, his story will touch you even though he can't? That's uh, Edward Scissorhands. It is Edward Scissorhands. Uh, That stars Johnny Depp as an artificial man named Edward, an unfinished creation who has scissor blades instead of hands. Of course. Uh, The young man is taken in by a suburban family and falls in love with their teenage daughter, Kim, played by Winona Ryder. Um, The genesis of Edward Scissorhands comes from a drawing by then-teenage director Tim Burton. Kind of like a dream, I guess, uh, which reflected his feelings of isolation and being unable to communicate with people around him in suburban Burbank, California.
1: That movie, can I tell you, as a young teen, as a young, dreamy teen, I was like, I need to find my own romantic blade boy. (laughs) I was like, he just wants to be loved. Look at his pale face and his beautiful eyeliner. I would love him just like Winona Ryder would love him. Yes, Yeah. it's a good movie it's an excellent film it's really freaky deaky but it's good
0: yeah I feel like I probably caught clips of it on like TBS in the daytime or
1: something
0: question two named for a star in the constellation Orion which of Burton's titular characters appears in less than 20% of the actual film Beetlejuice. It is Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Brothers execs didn't like the name Beetlejuice and pushed to have it changed to House Ghosts. That's much less scary. <laughs> house um, Ghosts. House Ghosts. So, um, as one of our friends who was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire this season knows, um, Burton jokingly suggested Scared Sheetless as an <laughs> alternative name
1: and was appalled when Warner Brothers actually considered it. I so love that they tidbit. Almost named Beetlejuice Scared Sheetless. I don't think that would be. It wouldn't have been as possible. No. No.
0: Um, Tim Burton reportedly Wanted Rat Pack member Sammy Davis Jr. <gasps> who was 63 at the time To play Beetlejuice Really?
1: Yeah He's yeah. too classy for that yeah, I think well,
0: Yeah that's true um, Producer David Geffen Suggested actor Michael Keaton Who was ultimately chosen And would go on to appear In two other Burton films He was in Batman And Batman Returns Yeah Which are Tim Burton movies
1: Michael Keaton Underrated Ugh. actor I mean he took so much son time of off. Pittsburgh Oh He's son of great. Pittsburgh Great He's actor great. Um, yeah,
0: Beetlejuice is in only 17 and a half minutes of the 92 minute huh, long that's film. that's
1: interesting.
0: Question three, which stop motion animated feature by Burton stars the voice of Johnny Depp as a man who accidentally gets married to a charismatic zombie after placing his ring on what he believes is a tree root?
1: I didn't see it. Is it like the something bride? The something bride? Yeah. The the dead bride, the undead bride, the deady dead you're bride. around it. The no longer living bride. <laughs> what is this? The Corpse bride. Corpse bride. bride. corpse bride. I didn't see it. Um, um,
0: Helena Bonham Carter, of course. course, is Emily the Corpse Bride. <sighs> she's uh, in all Johnny those Depp again. He's Victor Van Dort, who is betrothed in the land of the living to a woman named Victoria Everglot, voiced by Emily Watson. Oh, she's got a great voice. Yeah. Question four: In Burton's film *Sleepy Hollow*, based on Washington Irving's famous book *The Headless Horseman*, is the undead apparition of what specific type of German soldier from
1: the Revolutionary War? Um. <sighs> It's not the Zouaves. No, they weren't German. No, they weren't German. I don't remember. What is it? It's... uh A Hessian. Hessian. Yes. Okay, I wasn't going to get that. So
0: the Hessians were contracted by Great Britain and others as mercenaries in several 18th century European wars, but are most widely associated with the American Revolution, where around 30,000 German soldiers fought for the British during the war, forming a quarter of the troops sent to British America. So the term Hessians is used by Americans to refer to all German troops fighting on the British side, which is a form of synecdoche, which is a figure of speech in which a term for a part of something refers to the whole of something, or vice versa. About 65% of the German troops came from the German states of Hesse-Kassel and Hesse-Hanau, while the remainder released from other small German states. But we refer to all the Germans that fought in the American Revolution as Hessians. Hessians. And finally, question five, Deep Roy, a Kenyan-born Anglo-Indian actor and stuntman, played a whopping 165 characters in what 2005 Burton film?
1: That's um, is that Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? Yes, yes. Charlie in
0: the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Roy played all 165 Oompa Loompas. He was filmed repeating the same movement several hundred times. And while these were put together digitally, each Oompa Loompa represents a separate performance by Roy. Wow. In recognition of this, Roy's salary was raised to one million dollars. Wow,
1: that's great! Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. He's yeah, a, like a working actor. Yeah, he did a great. Oh man, so good, so great.
0: He played 165 characters in one movie, um, but the singing voice of the Oompa Loombas belongs to Danny Elfman, who overdubbed really? himself several dozen times.
1: Yeah, oh, look at that. Yeah, I only saw it once at the drive-in. Yeah, it was you know it was a Burton film. And here's how you remember
0: um, which movie was which. So Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory was yeah. the original one from the 70s. Sure. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory was one from the from 2005. So the the book is Charlie in the Chocolate Factory yes. by Roald Dahl, but when they were making the 1970s movie, they thought that title was too long. So they needed to have something that somebody could just say, oh, I'm going to see this movie. I'm going to see Willy Wonka. That's what they wanted to say. Because if you said, I'm oh. going to see Charlie, nobody would know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. So the 1970s version is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because they wanted it to just be- Be able to be shortened. Yes. Okay.
1: And then the 2005 one
0: is the original book title.
1: I see. The book is excellent. I read it several times So many times. Mm -hmm. It's a great, great book. Very dark. Oh, yeah. But all Roald Dahl books are dark.
0: Yeah. And then after you see them, like the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory movie, you have to like, and then you read the book, you kind of like sing song everything as you're reading it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Oh, finally, one last tidbit. Of course, Burton regularly casts the same actors in his film projects. Johnny Depp has been in eight of his films. Ex-partner Helena Bonham Carter has been in seven, and Christopher Lee has been in six. Oh,
1: okay. Good to know. So that's
0: good to know. Great. So, we hope that you have enjoyed so the
1: spookiest of mini swords. So concludes our mini sword of Halloween. mini Our spookiest. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, we'll, be we'll be back s- with a regular episode next Tuesday, next Tuesday as scheduled. Next
0: Tuesday in America is election day. So yes. you better plan to get out there Tuesday, November
1: 6th and vote. Reward yourself with our podcast. And some candy. And some candy after you vote. That can be your reward. Absolutely. Yes. Also democracy. Also democracy. <laughs> democracy is everyone's reward. But to get yourself out of bed if it's cold or rainy, yeah. you know, do,
0: do it. it. All right. We'll
1: get you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.